0: Welcome to the South Fellowship Church podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Morning, friends. How are you doing today? It's so fun to welcome those guys on to staff here at South, and, and fittingly for today, just a product of a lot of prayer and a lot of just, just work as a team, and Andrea, way to go, way to hire people. Thank you for the role that you played in that. Thank you for that beautiful introduction to them. We're in a season of the church calendar called Lent. Uh, it's a time that traditionally begins with Ash Wednesday that we did on Wednesday, No surprise. And it leads us all the way through to this beautiful moment of Easter where we remember Jesus' death, his crucifixion, and we celebrate his resurrection. If it feels to you that this feels like something maybe maybe it's too Catholic for you, maybe it just feels like something that, that doesn't fit, this is actually a really old tradition. Lent goes back to 325 AD. It's, it's before the Catholic Protestant thing. It's before the East-West thing. It's something that, that kind of, it, it does a beautiful job of uniting us all. And, and if you've never entered into it, my encouragement is, is, is to try it. What I've said regularly over the years is this, you get out of Easter what you put in to Lent. You get out of Easter what you put into Lent. It's this slow journey towards the cross and towards resurrection. And what you'll experience, the name Lent actually originally means lengthen. It's that experience that you and I have this time of year where the days slowly get longer. I went for a walk at 6.30 this morning and, and suddenly now that's, that's dawn and slowly the light's emerging. And as we get closer to spring, if you're up early enough, if you're one of those people, you'll start to feel that time get earlier and earlier and earlier and it, and it will lead you beautifully into the spring of Easter, to, to Resurrection Sunday. And so as a community, we're, we're doing 24-7 prayer. Right now, we have about 50 to 60 people signed up for that, which is good, but look around. There's a few more than 50 to 60 people here. We're a community that rotates in on a Sunday around 500-odd adults. And so there may be some more of you that would say, I I, I could do that. Uh, Mrs. Walton, back in England, is carrying a bunch of the load for us right now. She's logging like 12 hours a week. She's she's, she's doing some heavy lifting. Uh, If you have not jumped into that yet, here's a question you might ask. Why is that? Is there a reason that I haven't entered into that yet? Maybe you're just busy. I know what that feels like. I get busy. But actually, this is something that we can do beautifully as a community together as we start to pray for, yes, this place, that people would experience Jesus here. That in the midst of the things that we do, that be encounters with Jesus, but also for this earth as God called us to pray in the prayer we just heard. This is his earth. We pray his will be done in this World For a year where we're going to enter into an election cycle. And I know for some of you, it's going to be a thing. We're going to feel some tension. And so, so some of you are already like, I've I got a lot of hopes resting on that. We're, we're going to pray for that. We, we've got a question about female eldership. There's lots of emotions flying around. And we get to enter in as a community and say, God, not my will, uh, but your will be done. We get to lay down and surrender in this beautiful way. It ties in perfectly with what we're talking about today. Last week, we began this short few weeks in amongst a bigger series on the Sermon on the Mount, where we're talking about Jesus' prayer, the Lord's Prayer, sometimes called the Disciples' Prayer. Aaron led us through these verses here. He called them the best verses in the Bible which they may be, I don't know, I don't know if I can speak to that, but he did bring this beautiful sermon articulating just the nature of what Jesus is saying here, our Father in heaven, hallowed, glorified, honored, respected be your name, your kingdom come, your effective will in this place, your authority on this earth, the things that you want to happen on this earth, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven may this place that we dwell that at times each of us would say we feel looks nothing like it should look may it start to look like the way that you would shape it to be That's what we heard last week. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen and dream about what that world may look like and capture this sense of what God's will on earth looks like and what it means for you and I. But for now, catch the movement that Jesus leads us through as we go from this to this. Give us today our daily bread. It's big, right, to start with. It's spatial. It's all of these things that are maybe out of our reach, out of our touch. We feel the need for it, but to imagine who God is and how he might be working, well, that's hard for us to get to. And then Jesus suddenly, almost like without a breath pause, brings us all the way down. Without a beat, brings us all the way down to me and my bread, the thing that I need. Is there anything more earthy, than that the transition is stark or at least it seems to be stark and I say seems for a reason we'll get there in just a little while Jesus moves his prayer from big to small it's this world and God's will and this world and it's all the way down to small and it's bread this thing that humanity has talked about for now a good few thousand years as we get into some of this and wrestle with this, we have a podcast, Aaron and I, we look very happy about our podcast on the pictures. Sometimes we're like, eh, I'm not so sure, but it seems to, seems to scratch an itch. And so if you want more of a dialogue, we invite you to just log in with us every week and just to hear some of, uh, some of the ways we can reiterate things we wished we'd said uh, on Sunday morning, things we thought we'd said and didn't say, things you thought we'd said and we felt, thought we didn't say, and all of those different things. Come join us in that it's, it's a fun thing to participate in. Give us today our daily bread. The simplicity of this prayer is beautiful. It's for the base need of humanity. But, but coming from where we've been, we've come from, as I said, all these images that we may struggle to capture, it can be reduced down to just Stuff. It can almost risk coming down to something like this. This is Oliver Twist presenting his bowl saying, please, sir, I want some more. I want some more. I need something. When people were interviewed about the subject of prayer, they were asked, what are the sort of things that you pray for? What do you ask God for? only 37% of people down in the middle said i pray about god's greatness i pray the thing that we started with my father and our father in heaven hallowed be your name may your kingdom come only 36% of people said those were their reflections in prayer 82% said they prayed for family or friends jesus tells us to do that in different places And 74% of people said, I pray for my own problems, my difficulties, my sense of felt need. The, The wonderful film, Bruce Almighty, it may not have the best theology, but it has a great insight into human nature. In this moment, he's invited to step into the role of God tries to capture the prayers, the requests of humanity in one moment without the constant voice in his head and he asks for it in post-it notes and finds them spread everywhere in his room and all of them are requests that are centered around, can I have better weather for this specific day? Can you help me find a new car? Can you give me what I need? That was the focal point of prayer and perhaps you wrestle with that But Jesus was speaking to a society where they knew what it was to go without bread. This was a society where a couple of days off work could mean disaster, could mean that you eventually starved as a family. We don't live there. In this society, when a plague hit, it meant that thousands of people died simply because there wasn't now food to be had. There was no work to be done and now food to be eaten. We live in a society where we had a plague and the government simply said, free money, everybody, you're gonna be fine. We've got got your back. It's a different world and we sometimes find it hard to put ourselves into that world. What does it mean this give us our day our daily bread to a person who has never known the absence of bread to a person that's never known the absence of bread. Uh, just as a test, I decided to find out how many supermarkets, knowing I had some money in the bank, not lots, but some, enough for bread, I decided to look and see how many supermarkets were within a short radius of my house. I have at least 25 supermarkets that are within two miles of my house. Bread is not a problem. So what does this prayer mean for someone like me who would say, I don't want for bread? don't want for bread. Maybe if you're like me, you then try to figure out, well, what are my felt needs? What can I bring to God that I feel like I I need to to survive, perhaps to, to be content in this world, to prosper in this world? And maybe that's what we put into this verse and we'll wrestle in a moment with what Jesus actually said. Perhaps your prayer is for, I need a second car for our family and maybe you're provided with one, and maybe it looks like this. Mm -hmm. Is that daily bread? Perhaps you'd say, oh, if I was praying for a second car, I'd be hoping for more. I'd be hoping for something more. This is the 1998 Toyota Corolla that was described in these terms in a advertisement I found. You want a car that gets the job done? You want a car that's hassle-free? You want a car that literally no one will ever compliment you on? Well, look no further. The 1999 Toyota Corolla. Let's talk about features. Bluetooth? Nope. Sunroof? Nope. Fancy wheels? Nope. Rear-view camera. Nope, but it's got a transparent rear window and you have a neck. (laughs) Interesting facts. This car's exterior color is gray, but its interior color is gray. In the owner's manual, oil is listed as optional. When this car was unveiled at the 1998 Detroit Auto Show, it caused 2,000 attendees to spontaneously yawn. The resulting abrupt change in the air pressure inside the building caused a partial collapse of the roof. Four people died. The event is chronicled in the documentary Bored to Death, the story of the 1999 Toyota Corolla. Perhaps it was a great car back then, but today is that when you say, God, I need a car, I need a second car, I need a vehicle to drive around in. Is that what you're praying for? Are you praying something more specific? God, can you not provide me with a forerunner? Give me a forerunner and I will run hard for you, Jesus. I worked really hard on that joke. I was like half my study time. I actually chuckled out loud in my office when I came up with it. For whatever reason, as humans... We have desires for different things and some of our desires are actually, somewhat on the face of them, absurd. We desire often for perpetual wealth, surprising wealth. Not wealth that we've earned, not wealth that we've built, but wealth that was given to us out of nowhere. It's the Count of Monte Cristo scene where he discovers the ancient wealth of the family that he's come to know and and goes on to live in this extravagant way. Sometimes, if we're honest, our prayers for daily bread are not much different to this. It's prayers that God would, as it was articulated in that list, prayers that God would give us financial security far into the future, even that he would give us financial success. Here's my suspicion, though, with Jesus' prayer and where he'll lead us. I would suspect that this is true Daily bread is not a synonym for daily desire. Daily bread is not a synonym for daily desire. And so the topic that we are going to try and cover fairly quickly so we can process this together is this. What does Jesus say and how can we pray like him? Because that's the goal. That was his first listener's goal. That was his disciples' goal. Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. We want to copy you. There was something, as Aaron articulated last week, something beautiful about the way Jesus prayed, and we want to do the same. So what does Jesus mean by bread? Give us today our daily bread. What does Jesus mean by bread? Well, bread is interesting because it could be just physical. The Greek word, aton, could mean just a loaf of bread. Give us the very thing that we subsist on. This was a society that lived almost exclusively on bread. Occasionally there was meat. Occasionally there was fish, but there was always bread. It was made daily, and it was the basic level of existence. For most people listening to Jesus, their minds would instantly have gone back to a story in a book called Exodus, a story at the time that was 1,500 years old. This group of people were out in the wilderness, in the desert, and they have a story of miraculous provision of physical bread. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. In this culture, there was a story that said, at some point in our history, God provided for our daily needs, and he did it repeatedly for 40 years. That was history. That was their story. And yet, there's also a conversation, especially through Jesus, especially in the New Testament, around bread being not just physical. It's also Spiritual. In this, prayer, bread in this prayer could be physical, could be spiritual. Jesus himself says in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. There's a beautiful tension there that we're just left unclear on. Seems like a lot of the language is around physical, but there's perhaps this spiritual thing to be aware of. But what does he mean by Daily. Even when you read the sentence in English, have ever any of you noticed the, the tautology there, the, the, the unnecessary statement? There's, there's two time references, right? Why would you say, give us today our daily bread? It's enough to say, give us today bread. Give us our daily bread. There doesn't seem to need to be a second reference to time, It seems like, like odd, like saying, I'll meet you at 6 a.m. in the morning. Why, well, you'd ever be up at 6 a.m. in the morning, I have no idea. But, but something seems to be off. And there is a mystery to this word daily. Because when we ask the question, what does Jesus mean by daily bread? The somewhat scary answer is this. We don't know. We don't know. The Greek word is this word epusia. It doesn't exist anywhere else in scripture. It doesn't exist anywhere else in literature. This is the only time that this word was ever used anywhere that we have a record of. Just to give you a sense of how hard that makes it for a translator to to translate something my son is 6 he he suddenly decided he loves to make up words <laughs> uh, and so his his new favorite word is this tibetofeti <laughs> it means whatever it might be two words i don't know it, it means whatever he wants it to mean it just is a way of just being goofy so if i say to him what do you want for lunch he says tibetofeti it can be a noun it can be a verb it can be an adjective it can simply be anything as a parent, that's very convenient because then I get to decide whatever it <laughs> means. And so when I say, what do you want for lunch? And he says, tibeto I say, turkey and pesto. Great, thank you. Yeah. It's really helpful. But the word epiuzion, in some ways, we have as much information about its meaning as we do about the word tibeto In the second century, Oregon of Alexandria, an intelligent man who had written extensively on the New Testament, said this, we don't know what it means. I'm paraphrasing somewhat, but, but the simple truth is it's so difficult to know exactly what it means. But we do have a couple of traditions that help us. But just to know before we get into those traditions, this is like going back, say George Washington, had used a term, perhaps he'd said something mean about King George, as was his one, and perhaps perhaps nobody knew what that term meant. And perhaps a Harvard scholar maybe 100 years later said, we don't know what that word meant. When we wrestle with what it means, what this word for daily means, it would be somewhat like someone from our time saying that we knew better than the scholar who lived right next to that period of time. It's complicated could mean a few different things some people said no it's definitely a time reference definitely references time even though time was already brought up in the sentence and some people said it means today's bread give us today the bread for today other people said no no i agree it's a time reference but it actually means tomorrow's bread when we go to bed we pray and we say god give us what we need for tomorrow. Give us tomorrow's bread. But other people said, no, no, it's not a time reference at all. It's, it's an amount. It's a number on bread. It's the, the amount of bread that you should need. And so these people had a couple of options as well. The bread we need to stay alive was one of those options, the absolute bare minimum, just enough to subsist on, whatever that might be. For you and your family. And other people were a little bit more generous than that. Some people said, no, it's more, it's more than just to stay alive, but it is the bread we need. It's, it's enough. It's no lack. It's more than just survival, but it's something. So we might ask the question again, what does Jesus mean by daily bread? Because that's important in figuring out what he would have us to pray. And when you look through all of the options, when you look through all of the ways that they got those ideas, what you might say is this. The heartbeat of Jesus' prayer seems to be this. Give us the bread that doesn't run out to sustain us. That ties it concretely back to the story that most people would have reflected on. There was a provision of God for 40 years, and, uh, and the heartbeat of this prayer is, God, help me to trust you that you will provide continually for me and my day-to-day needs. Think about one of the big emotional weights of being an adult human being. Isn't it this? At some point, the, the stuff might run out. At some point, there might not be enough. Enough. What if I retire and Social Security doesn't doesn't come through? What if the 401k runs out? What if I get sick and can't work anymore? Isn't that some of the emotional weight? What if prices keep going up and we just can't afford anything? What if we get priced out of the market and feel like we have to move? What if our rent is raised? What if eggs become as extortionately expensive as they were last year? All of those different things. Isn't that the weight that lots of us feel? How will I provide for me and the people around me? That's the prayer Jesus seems to invite us to pray. Doesn't seem to be is, that the car isn't good enough, I'd like a better one. Although you can pray that prayer doesn't seem to be the house isn't what we wanted it to be or we've kind of fallen out of love with it. We need, we need a bigger yard. doesn't seem to be those sorts of things here. It seems to be, God, would you keep me and sustain me? A way you might say this is this. The prayer is for bread, not for cake. The prayer is for bread. It's not for cake. And importantly, the prayer is for ours, not for mine. It's for ours, it's not for mine. I would suggest Jesus beautifully invites us into this idea that we are praying with kingdom-minded contentment. Now, if you're visiting and you were hoping that this might be a prosperity church you could join, you may now be at a point where you're like, oh, that may not be this place, if the parking lot wasn't enough to tell you, uh, then now you've heard it directly from me. We own a strip mall, <laughs> not a multi-million dollar building. This is what Jesus seems to invite us into, kingdom-minded contentment. I'm going to unpack that for you, but a question that might occur to you is this. Why would I want this? Why would I want this? I have more than this now. Life looks pretty good right now. I love my house. The cars are great. The college fund is full of money or the kids have gone to college and there was money left over. The 401k could survive me into the next 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. I'm good. Why would I pray something like this? Why would I pray a prayer that's centered around this dangerous idea? And I love that Jesus, he doesn't hold anything back. He shares this with us before we even get to pray. Your father knows what you need of before you ask him. What's the challenge? What's the hard word behind this? Well, he knows what you need. That's that's good news. The bad news is he also knows what you need. He knows what you need. It doesn't talk here about want, it, it simply talks about need. That, that, that's a hardship. Why would we enter into this? Well, actually, over the years, many people have seen the wisdom behind the kind of invite Jesus makes to of being provided for without necessarily getting everything you want. In Proverbs 30, we read this, Keep falsehood and lies from me, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. A good 800, 900 years before Jesus, someone had written something that said, I'm weighing up these two things. Riches may not be good for me. Poverty is not good for me. God, can you land me by your grace and mercy somewhere in the middle of those two things? Don't let me end up on either side. When we move deeper and deeper into riches, the risks are evident. Arthur Gish said, we spend time buying things we do not want to impress people we do not like. That's the danger of the need for more and more and more. I don't know how many of you tracked with this story. This was in California. This is Escondido Beach up around the Malibu area. These are people that live in paradise. They have this beachfront property that overlooks the beautiful Pacific Ocean. They get to walk out of their back door and and they get to call that home. But the problem that became evident was this. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough that they got to walk out into paradise they needed nobody else to be able to do it. So slowly they began to shut off as many beach accesses as they could and said, nobody gets to walk here. When you walk on a beach in California, the wet sand is up for grabs, but the dry sand belongs to somebody else. As human beings, we seem wired to say, that's not enough, I need more than that. that that's not enough, I need more than that, we keep spending time, spend our time buying things we do not want to impress, people we do not like. Anna Lembeck in her brilliant book, Dopamine Nation, that I just recommend as an amazing read, said this, I urge you to find a way to immerse yourself fully in the life you've been given, to stop running from whatever you're trying to escape and instead to stop and turn and face whatever it is. Then I dare you to walk towards it. In this way, the world may reveal itself to you as something magical and awe-inspiring that does not require escape. Instead, the world may become something worth paying attention to. The truth is that some of our prayers and our desires are actually a desire to escape what we're living right now and actually that may not be healthy at all. We want the extra beachfront because we feel like that finally will be the thing that makes us happy. And yet it seems true contentment comes from wanting less, not from getting more. It comes from wanting less and not from getting more. Arthur Brooks said this, it's not getting what you want that leads you to happiness, but rather wanting what you have. I wrestled with that over and over again because it's one of those things that sounded true but made me uncomfortable. Some people live a life that's truly a difficult life to live. But when I put it into practice in my own life, I found it actually worked. In those moments when I was trying to get out of the kids what they want for lunch, I would just say, this was the life you wanted. This was the life you wanted when there were moments where I felt busy and I felt like the weight of something was on me I said this is the life you wanted does that work for everybody I still don't know but for some of us recognizing the beauty of where God has called us rather than wanting to escape it seems to be the point seems to be the answer true contentment comes from wanting less not from getting more Richard Byrd, the Arctic explorer, said, I'm learning that a man can live profoundly without masses of things. When Jesus invites us to pray, give us today our daily bread, he doesn't seem to be opening the door for mass requests of perpetual wealth. He seems to be saying, I want to take the weight off you, the belief that you have to eke out a living, that you have to be the one that makes your survival possible. You can trust me with that. You can trust me with that. In his letter to his friend Timothy, Paul said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Into ruin and destruction. Jesus' prayer seems to develop, ask us to develop a kingdom-minded contentment. We covered the idea of contentment, but what, does, what do I mean by kingdom-minded? I would suggest when Jesus says, give us today our daily bread, he uses plurals on purpose. The temptation is for me to worry about my bread. What I get, the invitation, is to be interested in our bread. Give us today our daily bread sometimes we look at the world as a place just to gather everything that we need and to worry about nobody else should Colorado be entitled to every bit of water from the Colorado River does anybody else get to use it does the resource stop here or is it a resource to be shared if you're like me, the focus can be so much on I've got to get mine that everybody else kind of gets pushed to one side. And yet Jesus uses plurals on purpose. He invites us to be interested in other people's wealth. In the beautiful story around Jesus feeding the 5,000, the only miracle that appears in all of the Gospels, I'm always, always convicted by the sociological reading. Let me be clear. I believe this is this beautiful, miraculous story where Jesus takes five loaves and a couple of fish and he spreads them between 5,000 people. But if you read a secular author, they'll say this. Well, someone had something and they shared it. And then other people that had some stuff began to share it. And other people that had some stuff began to share it. And and eventually there was enough for everybody because some people had lots and some people had little and, and, and everything worked in the end. Now, that's not the reading I have of this passage, but the thing that always challenges me deep in my emotions is this. Which do I believe is a greater miracle? Do I believe that the Son of God living on earth, who can say anything and make it happen, who can take this fish and this bread and multiply it for everybody, is the great miracle? Or do I believe people like me, who are so caught up in their stuff, sharing what they have, is the great miracle. I actually just, it just baffles me. It just captures my heart when I think of the fact that maybe I can change, and maybe I can see my resources as for more than just me. We read the other week that generosity often leads to contentment. Contentment very rarely leads to generosity. Jesus seems to invite us to pray Give us today our daily bread Trusting him that we can be content with what he provides And also believing that we might be able to share it with others Mother Teresa tells this compelling story Of arriving at a house that hadn't had food for eight weeks During her time in India She came with some friends and a bag of rice And instantly the woman took the bag of rice Split it into two and took one half to the house next door how she knew they hadn't had eaten we don't know but she did when she came back her words were these they don't have food either they don't have food either this isn't a political thing this is a personal thing this is a me thing and a you thing how do we trust god for what we need and say maybe that need is for more than just me Praying give us what we need to sustain us means trusting God to give what we need with the possibility he takes what we don't need. The possibility that he takes what we don't need. It is an open-handed posture that says, God, what do you have for me? Is our prayer to have enough or is our prayer to receive more? Is our prayer for our personal prosperity or centered on us all receiving bread? Which is it for you? Oh, I lost my screen. When I said at the beginning that I felt like there was a big shift between what we learned last week and what we're learning this week, I wonder if that's true. I wonder if they're more closely attached than I believed. I wonder if God's will for the world might just possibly be tied to God's will for your bread and for my bread. So I'm gonna invite the team to lead us in a song. I'm gonna invite you to stand, and I'm gonna invite you to stand with your fists clenched and imagine all of the things that you own. I'm gonna imagine all the things I own. And in this moment, what I'm gonna recognize is this. And this is maybe the hardest thing to grasp as a follower of Jesus. I'm thinking right now about all the stuff I own, all the stuff I love. And in this moment, I'm realizing this challenging truth. According to scripture, I don't own anything. I don't own anything. Everything that I have is lent to me. It's not mine. It belongs to the God of heaven and earth who says all things are mine. And I'm remembering that I'm taught to pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm faced with the terrifying possibility that God's will for this earth may be deeply connected to his will for my stuff, for my bread. And as we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to do something that I actually think is far more courageous than it might seem. With your fists clenched for a moment, holding all of that stuff, I'm gonna invite you to open them and acknowledge to the God of the universe that the bread in your fists isn't yours, it's his. And the unfortunate truth for you that I have is this, and for me, because I don't like this truth particularly at times, if you want to follow Jesus, there is no other way to live than this. He does not make you an owner. He makes you a steward. That means the more that you have, the harder this is to do. I used to charity fundraise and I would go knocking on doors and what I found was this, that the poorer people were more generous because they had less to lose. The richer people had good ways to give, they had structures, they had systems, but the poor people had nothing to lose. And so if God has entrusted you with great wealth, then praying, give me today my daily bread, give me the bread that doesn't run out, that sustains, is fundamentally a dangerous prayer to pray. So God, with all the courage that we can muster, we pray these words. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today this daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. If you've been touched by this ministry and you want that to spread to others, you might consider partnering with us financially. You can give online at southfellowship.org give. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day.